everybody, and welcome to Comic Club, your friendly neighborhood comic book podcast. This is the show where we read a comic or graphic novel. This is our special Beyond the Panels episode where we talk about the film, the movies, the television series that was inspired by the comic book medium we love. This week, we are streaming live from Talo. That's right, everyone. We're talking Shang-Chi. I'm Blaine McGaffigan, and I'm joined, as always, by Adam, reigning champ at the Underground Fight Club in Macau. Cook! Oh, eat my dust, uh, abomination. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. What's up, Blaine? How you doing, man? Chilling, bro. Chilling. Um, I watched Shang-Chi, let's see, a couple weeks ago. So, you know, but no, maybe a week. Time moves insane right now, and uh, I'm excited to get into it and talk about it. What about you? Yeah, I feel like mine was about a week ago as well, and I'm excited to talk about it. I wanted to try and get it while it was still fresh in my mind, and yes. while hopefully while it's still fresh in, you know, in the, um, the cultural zeitgeist. Yeah, the consciousness. That's right. So, uh, give me your first takes. Give me your first impressions. We, you, you got it. You watched Shang Chi. Tell me about your viewing experience. How you saw it. Who you saw it with. And whenever you came out, what was your feelings? Okay, I saw it with no one. I went by myself. Love it. I love going to see movies by myself, and I'm not afraid so to admit it. I went to the Alamo Draft House, which was the first time I've been back to a draft house since COVID. So it's been, it feels like years, um, and. It was great. I really liked it. I thought it was a great time. I just went to an afternoon show in a little matinee style. And um, man, it was a good time. I had very little preconceived notions going in. I didn't do a ton of research about the character Shang-Chi. I really didn't watch a lot about this, um, you know, the making or anything like that. I think I just watched the main trailer. Just try to keep it to one trailer. And mm -hmm. I thought it was great. I really liked a lot of the, you know, the fighting scenes. I thought the fighting scenes were really fun, really well done, and something that hadn't really been present in that style in the MCU yet. Yeah. So it's yeah. fun to get that kung fu, that martial arts like really um, well represented in there. And just cool to see them representing a whole different, you know, side of the world with Asians and Asian Americans and just a full film full it full of it, just really going for it. I thought it was really you know, I don't necessarily think it's that bold of a move, but yeah, it's a really cool move to do nonetheless. And that was pretty much, I, yeah, I think I came out of it thinking, you know what? I like that Shang-Chi guy. He's a likable yeah. fellow. He's just, you yeah. know, he's a pretty, he's got a real good everyman quality to him. Yes. Um, I hadn't really seen that actor at much. Simu is his name, right? Simu Liu yep. is his name. And yeah, he's uh I went with my brother-in-law who watches Kim's Convenience, a very popular sort of Canadian show about, I think it's Sim Simu Liu's father or father in the show uh, runs a convenience store and it's um, pretty popular. I think it wrapped up. So that's kind of one of his claim to fames, but um, yeah, he's new. And I think that's advantageous is casting an actor that you may not know. This isn't Jet Li, right? This isn't, you know, these famous Asian uh actors that we at least know. So it's a blank face, kind of blank character, which, you know, you say you were pretty blind to him. Me as a comic reader, and I, I will speak for a lot of comic readers, he hasn't been featured a lot in Marvel Comics. You know, he was created back in the 70s after the kind of kung fu 
renaissance that we had with Bruce Lee into the dragon. There was this huge wave where Americans were loving Kung Fu. And I wanted to give a shout out to the creators, Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin, who I believe Jim, Jim Starlin also created Thanos among you know his many other creations, created Shang-Chi to kind of be that kind of Bruce Lee. He kind of shared the look, the kind of vibe of that in the 70s. And then he just disappeared. He wasn't in a lot of series. I know most recently he was in a Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run. And now he is finally, you know, being written by Asian American writers, Asian Canadian writer Gene Luing. Oh gosh, I'm I'm butchering his name. Gene Luen Yang, who is a very famous writer, he wrote Superman Smashes the Clan, and he's doing a new take. Um, so it's good they're kind of elevating this character in comics as like his popularity is, you know, increasing. Obviously, because of the Marvel movie. But uh, I thought that was a really good point. I really, really like Simu Liu. I thought he is. You called it out as the everyman. He is charming. Just like that dude that you know, like at your workplace or whatever, that you just love. Like you're like, dude, that that dude, he's legit. And um, I, I think he really like took it home. And I'm really excited to kind of see where he goes next um, or, or Shang, where he takes Shang-Chi next because I think it's a really good entry performance. Yeah, I was really happy with it. Pleasantly surprised. Um, Marvel just they do a really good job at finding people to lead their films and kind of yes. usher in their characters. I think that they're just, they're really good at recognizing talent and someone who's kind of I feel like they hit people right at the right time. They're right before they're about to, you know, obviously this is what makes them become a big star, but it's, they catch them all at the right moment where they have a couple interesting things to their name usually. And some people kind of, they might've seen them here or there. You might have a friend or a brother-in-law or a cousin or whatever that watches something with them in it, but you're not really watching them yet. And then they recognize that talent, yes. bring them up to the, you know, the major leagues, I guess, and give yes. them a chance to shine. Did you, what do you think about Aquafina? I love Aquafina. I am always a fan of Aquafina. Yeah. She has this hilarious song on YouTube that um, it's uh it's an expletive. I'm not going to say it on the pod, but it's a hilarious song. And ever since I heard that, I have been a fan. Loved her in Crazy Rich Asians. I'm trying to think. I haven't watched Nora from Queens, which is uh, her show. But anything she's in, I just really like. And she's 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 a strange one because she goes for it. She really like leans into kind of like that SNL almost slapsticky comedy where it's like her characterizations become the comedic point. I, I don't know how if I explain that right, but she's so over the top. And um but what she did in this one is bring the humanity back to it. Sometimes she can be a cartoon character, but in this she was also just kind of a normal person. The love interest thing was a little it wasn't all the way there in this film yet, you know, they'll get there. But I love her. What's your take on her? Yeah, I thought she was great. I think she's just kind of a natural in all these things. She's really good in front of the camera, and she uses that quirkiness that she has, like you said, that sort of, I guess, SNL kind of mentality um, really well, and she knows how to use it to bring a lot of humanity to her characters, I think. And like you said, it's this time, instead of her being the zany one, the fact that she is 
you know, dorky and kind of overreacting to things yes. while everyone around her is just so calm about yes. the weirdest shit. Um, yeah. That really brings a lot of humanity and kind of grounds it back to brings it back down to earth. Yeah. And, and humor, you know, you think that Shang-Chi is kind of a normal person too, who's going to get powers. And we find out through the course of this, that he's been in the sort of mystical world longer than we kind of realize from the jump. Right. But she is the fish out of water here. Who's the true one who's being exposed to sort of the new mystical cultures and the 10 rings org and all of that, that gets wild in this film. Yeah. That would be a lot to take in. A lot to take in. Well, yeah. And then that end joke where they're describing their uh, adventures to their friends. And they're just, they're just like, y'all don't do anything. And then they're like, and then they saved the world. And then he was riding a dragon. <laughs> and then um, that that was – and then the hole opens behind him where Wong comes in. That, that was actually a really good sort of coda to the kind of earlier setup that I wasn't expecting. And that's just kind of one of those story structure elements where the joke is like, it's like the long joke. And when it hits, it hits so hard. Yeah. And I love how, I love how they brought that back. That was such a good little bookend. And then I love the button of them saying, all right, we got to get to work. And he, Shang says, we could, or, and they go back to karaoke. Now Wong's doing karaoke. Oh yeah. And then to just the icing on the cake is they're doing Hotel California, which they've been referencing the whole movie. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that's so good. Um, Adam, I got to say, though, I have some good things to say about the characters, but overall, I just don't know about this film. And I mentioned it in our last Beyond the Panel. I'll mention it in every Beyond the Panels. CGI monsters and Blaine do not mix it is just, it's oil and water over here. And when we got to Talo and you kind of get the mystical elements, I'm seeing those huge lions and, and you know, the nine-tailed fox is cool. I love seeing that sort of Chinese mythology, you know, Asian mythology. And then you just get these dragons and like, there's such cool Kung Fu scenes. I w- and I want to talk about some of the action, so I don't want to bring that up yet, but you go from Kung Fu action to warrior battles where they're fighting flying dragon monsters. And I just don't know why they do that. And I thought that was like, like, I mean, it really started to kill it for me at the end there. It was starting to get pretty brutal and just like, like the screen, it just looks ugly. It just doesn't look good. And it's just, it's old hat. We've seen so many I, so many CGI monsters just going at it. It's, it's boring at this point. It's not that exciting. And I agree with you because the most of this movie, they had it really grounded in the, the fighting was just martial arts stuff. You know, there was definitely some of that crouching tiger, hidden dragon yeah. um, aspect of, you know, maybe some mysticism and impossible things to do but beyond that it was a lot of just hand-to-hand combat and it was really fun and i thought it was working so well i agree with you yeah it's hard to hard to wash that taste out of your mouth when they when that's the big climax of the movie yeah and and i want to talk about it when we um at the end i want to talk about where we kind of think this could go and what's going to be next and what we want to see in shang shang chi 2 but let's go ahead and get into sort of the action elements because 
I, I do want to talk about that, and I want to link it to Kung Fu Cinema. So what I did is I went down a Wikipedia click hole here, Adam, and I'm going to kind of go through the history of Kung Fu, okay? I want you to chime in whenever you've seen some of these, whenever you have something to say about it, and then as I kind of go through each section of this sort of kung fu cinematic history, I want to relate it to a specific fight in the movie, if we can. So, (laughs) yeah, so I have this grand planned. Um, Here we go. First up, we have the early kung fu. I don't have a lot here. I just wanted to call it out Shaw Brothers movies. I actually haven't even seen... I don't even know if I've seen any Shaw Brothers movies, but I mentioned the Kung Fu wave of David Carradine did Kung Fu, a television series. It kind of introduced Western audiences to um, martial arts in the West. And then Bruce Lee came on the scene with Enter the Dragon. You have the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. This is the Kung Fu wave of cinema. Adam, talk about Maybe Bruce Lee, what is your experience with Bruce Lee? Have you seen any of his films and how it might relate to Shang-Chi? You know, I've never seen a Bruce Lee film from beginning to end. I've seen a bunch of scenes from Enter the Dragon. Um, That's probably Mm -hmm. the one that I'm most familiar with. And, you know, just I feel like I've seen a lot of clips of him doing cool karate flexing his crazy ripped chest. He he just had like the most ripped chest. I remember it's like you could see every muscle in it. Um, and I loved him. I loved his, uh, little fake cameo in once upon a time in Hollywood. Although a lot of people did not like that because he got beat by Brad Pitt in a fight. Right. Um, so that might be my, my most familiarity with him. And I mean, he's just super cool too. He had this really cool sense of style to, that's one of the things I love about Bruce Lee the most is that he had a great sense of style. Bruce Lee has the style he's also got the philosophy i know i think he kind of helped create this new martial arts style with his um with his the grandmaster his teacher ip man and there's there's a lot of films on ip man the grandmaster which i wanted to talk about as well but th- there's one he kind of popularized this sort of flying kick which is very famous. I know like Liu Kang from Mortal Kombat movies, it's one of his moves. And there was one part in the bus fight, right? When the bus is kind of falling apart and Shang-Chi's, it's kind of a pullback shot where you're seeing the full bus and Shang-Chi's kicking them all to the back of the bus and the sort of middle section is opened and you just see him do the flying kick and kick that last guy back into the back of the bus before they cut it off. And um, that was super dope. This next section and I want to talk about the bus fight here, is going to be the Kung Fu comedy slash crazy stunts era of Kung Fu featuring Jackie Chan and legendary choreographer Yun Wu Ping, you know, police story. There are so many classic Jackie Chan movies. Adam, what is your experience with Jackie Chan? Talk about him a little bit in that bus fight. The bus fight was awesome. Um, I think, you know, Jackie Chan is pretty big for everyone from our era because he came over to America really in the 90s and really just became huge. And then in the late 90s, he started, you know, starring in movies where he'd actually speak in English and not just be dubbed for the first time. Right. You know, the first movie he did his own lines was Rush Hour, which is crazy to think it took that long. But that was the first one. And the director had to convince him to do it because he was, you know, unsure of it. 
But yeah, I feel like Jackie Chan's always been around and some people give him a lot of hate, but I think he's incredible. He's a genius. He's so good at stunts and then coming up with these really creative ways to not only showcase his martial arts skills, but also to use his environment yes. um, you know, as a weapon, as a defense mechanism, and then also be, be really funny in the process too. Yes. Yeah, it, it's a lot of people also compare him to Buster Keaton, who is a classic uh, stuntman who did these crazy stuff on trains, on moving vehicles, on just getting hurt like big time um, in certain cases. And they're all these slapsticky, crazy things. But whenever you see these Jackie Chan and um, Buster Keaton, and then now I would even say Tom Cruise stunts, your mind, you can't divorce it. It is not CGI. You know you are seeing somebody do something incredible on screen. And whenever you see, like jumping from car to car on moving vehicles, stuff like that, the things Jackie Chan does are incredible. And kind of those using the environment that you mentioned, I thought was used so well in the bus, right? Yeah. And that's where uh, uh, Shang-Chi gets his jacket and he's wrapping the sword and he's fighting the guys with his jacket. He's swinging between the poles. He gets a pole at one point. And I thought the other good link there was a really cool scaffold fight at the uh, fight club in Macau. And I believe, I can't remember the Jackie Chan movie, but I know he's always fighting with scaffolding too, always. right? Where they're, they're busting through scaffolding, they're falling, they're getting hit, you yeah. know, they're getting hurt and they're swinging, they're going up. And, um, and then, you know, Aquafina's hanging off the bamboo that's bending. It, it seemed right out of a Jackie Chan movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that bus fight because I love how early they got to that. I think you got to just get these movies going. Give me a big action sequence right up front and get that energy ramped up. That's right. Next, we are going to go into, uh, I didn't write down what they call this. It's like honorable bloodshed era. And this is the John Woo era, right? This is where it's kind of more mafia, more uh, Yakuza style. I know that's Japanese, but it's this more gunfu whenever they really started introducing gunplay and stuff like this. So popular John Woo movies. And then Chow Yun-Fat was a lot of uh, the actor in that. Hard Boiled is the sort of Hong Kong cinema version. And then John Woo also directed Face Off. And then Mission Impossible 2, where those aren't necessarily Kung Fu, but they borrow this sort of style. I don't have a lot to compare that to Shang-Chi, but I just kind of wanted to mention it as we go into the next style, which is Wuxia Cinema. Okay, And this is, you mentioned Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This is also known as Wire Fu, whenever they're floating it's ethereal. They they can fly. They can do otherworldly things. And the the beginning fight scene between Shang-Chi's father and uh, Shang-Chi's mother, whenever they go to Talo, and she is, you know, using her foot and stirring up the sort of wind elements and stuff like this that she's using, and they're fighting, flying at each other and getting kicked back. That is right from the Wuxia cinema. Um, main ones here, we have Once Upon a Time in China, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, House of Flying Daggers, and Hero. Um, Adam, talk about that and talk about maybe that early fight scene and what do you think about that style of kung fu? Love that style of kung fu. Loved that fight scene. I love how it kind of brings out sort of the the artistry of the martial arts. And it's almost like this ballet element. Yes. Where it's very beautiful and flowing. Yes. Lots of body control. 
And it's much more of a, a passive kind of martial art where it's, you know, they're using their enemies. Deflections. Deflections, exactly. Yes. And um, I love how that's kind of the big moment where he realizes, you know, that he's a product of his mother and his father. And he goes to her, her old routine. He does yes. the circle with his foot. Yes. It was a great payoff. I've always thought that those movies are so beautiful, too. I remember seeing Crouching Tiger as a pretty young kid and just thinking it was it was art essentially. I was like, this is oh, yeah. art in, in martial arts form. And um, yeah, I just, I love when people bring in the kind of supernatural mystical element too. And I thought it was really well incorporated in the way that it played into Shang-Chi. I thought fit in perfectly. Absolutely agree with everything you said there. I think you mentioned the beauty of this fight. And that's what made that opening fight between the father and the mother so great is it was both antagonistically fighting each other, but then romantically kind of becoming entangled in the process as you could see them falling for each other as they were fighting. And that was just all done in choreography. And that was awesome. That's what Kung Fu cinema can do. And I just, I love that is, is it really highlights sort of the body movements and the characters and the physicality, which is just fantastic. So I love that. I wanted to mention Yun Wu Ping because he choreographed a lot of that famous legendary choreographer. He did, he went everywhere from Jackie Chan with Drunken Master to Iron Monkey, um, which is Donnie Yin in Wuxia Cinema to Fist of Legend, Crouching Tiger. And then he was brought into Hollywood when the Wachowski now sisters recognize how badass this choreographer is and got him for all the Matrix movies, right? Which really borrow that same Wuxia style of the wire foo. Um, and then also Tarantino with Kill Bill movies. And uh, he was also influenced, uh, Robert Rodriguez cites those as well as influencing Desperado then Once Upon a Time in Mexico as well. The kind of, that has more of the gun foo elements as well. But I mention all this, Adam, because we're in a Kung Fu drought. You know what I mean? Like, like I, we talked about the matrix and we talked about kill bill. We haven't seen popular Kung Fu and Western cinema in a bit. Can you think of anything or, or what is your take on sort of, sort of that? I mean, again, like, like Kung Fu was pretty big in late nineties, early two thousands, me and my boy, Barry, we would watch all these iron monkey and we would go back and watch Kung Fu hustle. I think Kung Fu hustle is one of the uh, posters on Shang-Chi's wall in, in his apartment, or is it Shaolin soccer? I can't remember, but um, I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Um, I wonder if these things are, you know, maybe it just comes in waves. Cause it was like you said, really, there was a big, you know, a big, wave of it in the seventies. And cause it's not only just the movies, it's in the pop culture too. People are starting to take, you know, karate lessons yes. and they're signing up their kids for Taekwondo. Yes. And I feel like I I'm sure that still happens, but it seems like maybe that has the kind of interest has just kind of died down and maybe we just don't seek it out enough, but yeah, I wonder if, you know, we just needed, maybe we needed someone like, um, Simu to, be a, you know, a big enough presence to yes. make people interested in it who aren't normally interested in it. Because when you were going through the whole timeline, um, got some dogs barking back here. 
But Keep it going. <laughs> no worries. We got some dogs. We got no some worries. dogs. When you're going through the whole timeline, a lot of those timelines corresponded with one or two big stars. You know, Bruce Lee, Chow Yun-Fat, yes. Jackie Chan. Maybe we just needed someone like Simu to step up and take the mantle and be the next big martial arts star. I love it. I love that take. And I, I agree. And I think when we talk about what we want to see next... The things we love most about this movie, the things I like, and we haven't even gotten to the sort of family elements, which is, you know, a staple of Asian cinemas as well. But these fight scenes and how the Kung Fu differentiates itself from the rest of the Marvel universe, right? He is doing something different here and it pulls on a lineage and a history, which we just talked about of cinema. We have Matrix 4 coming out, right? That's going to probably feature a lot of those really cool Kung Fu fight scenes. Uh, I love what you said about Maybe we just need kind of a star. Maybe we need somebody. And Simu Liu, there was one scene in that scaffolding fight. And I can't talk enough about the bus, but the scaffolding fight, when he actually runs to go save Aquafina, it was this single take where it kind of follows him and he's punching people and he's just running so fast. And you really see that actor's physicality. And I was like, oh shit, he could legit be the next action star if, if we lean into that. I thought there were a few moments where it looked like he was doing a dead full-on sprint. And I love seeing that in a movie. That's a Tom Cruise move. And there's so many times where I can see someone and I think they're not running as hard as they should be for this situation. They're not running for their life. That's what they need to do. And yeah, I think that's a great, great call out. Um, Yeah, I think he was just, he was great. He was really, you know, announced himself with this movie. But, and a big but here. This is what I want to talk about. The rings. My take is this. The rings are stupid. And we got to get rid of these rings. Okay. Because, okay. Make the rings some sort of MacGuffin. Make them some sort of story element. Make them power you up. I don't care. You can make the rings do something. But they started getting into these CGI battles with the rings, right? Where they're using the rings, okay, to shoot little shoot little power balls. Okay, that's fine. Um, To like boost himself up. Okay, that's fine. But when he's just using the rings in the circles and whipping people with the rings and it starts to become a weapon, they're not doing Kung Fu anymore. And it's not the same physicality as fighting with the bow staff or Bruce Lee chopping it up with the nunchucks, right? Where it's just, you know, you're seeing CGI and you're seeing him just whip his arms around and then some animator just going in and making the rings do cool shit. And I don't want to see that in future movies. I want to see, like we were just talking about, Simu Liu use his physicality to really showcase Kung Fu. Here's we go. Or here we go. I got it. The rings get stolen. He's got to go get them. There's your MacGuffin. When he goes to get them, they get destroyed. So yes. he has to find out that he has the power within him. He doesn't need the rings. He can do his martial arts and just use his skills and everything and his, you know, crouching tiger moves that his mom taught him instead. There's the sequel. Give me a call, Kevin Feige. Shang-Chi 2, written by Adam Cook, coming to cinemas, 2025. I'm here. I would go see that movie. It's done. I'm ready. All right. Well, um, yeah, let's get into uh, 
the kind of family story elements of this, we haven't even really mentioned uh, Michelle Yeh, who is, uh, she was in Crouching Tiger, uh, Tony Luing, who is the father, and uh, obviously Shang-Chi has a sister here. What did you think of the more heart of it, the more origin story, the more family elements of this movie? I thought it worked really well to tie it all together. And the way that they all had different relationships with each other, I thought was really true to a family. You know, a family dynamics are very different. The sister and brother relationship is very different than the father-daughter, the father-son, mother-son, whatever, mother-daughter. They're all really different. And I thought they did a really good job of representing that. And um, I love a good brother-sister team up. And as someone with siblings, Blaine, you've got a sister. I have two sisters and a brother. And I love it when the siblings work together. I also love it when siblings fight. So that's why I love their re um, reuniting scene where he just finds out that they're in a fight together and then she just beats the crap out of him. I love it when she whoops him up. Yeah, that was that was great. Um, it shows her strength as well. And um, Tony Lung is a, you know, classic um martial artist here he is a, you know he's a huge actor in hong kong cinema i i was just watching after i watched shang chi i was like let me go back and and watch some kung fu here and i watched the grandmaster by wong kar wai and tony lung's the lead there and he is just crushing it he's badass he's getting up there in age and i like the um i thought it provided a good story element this is another history of shang chi here in comics Shang-Chi's father is actually Fu Manchu, the kind of problematic um, depiction of, you know, an Asian villain that is, you know, was in comics in the 70s. And I really like that they updated that character here. They talked a lot about that in interviews to sort of build the family more into the roots of what real, you know, Chinese and Chinese American families are like with, you know, the honor elements, um, the father who, you know, expects a lot out of his son, and then the sister who feels might feel left out of that because she is not a male. And just kind of some of those elements and then how they update that to the modern age, I thought worked really well. I thought some of the pacing was a little tricky. But um, overall, you got to introduce Shang-Chi. This had to be an origin story because we don't know who they are. And now you have the characters established and we have a launching pad for the future. Totally cool with origin stories when we know nothing about the characters. I mean, the mass consciousness isn't really tapped into the Shang-Chi universe. So I liked the, just kind of a classic origin story here. And let's talk about the future and then we can wrap this baby up. Adam, what happened in the post-credits, mid-credits? Can you describe that for us? And then we can talk about additionally maybe what we'd like to see with Shang-Chi, what we think could possibly happen as he gets incorporated into, what, I don't know, the Avengers? I don't know. You speculate. They It starts with, or I should say it ends. We mentioned this a little bit. They're in San Francisco telling their friends what happened, and um, Wong shows up in one of those rings and... Uh, he says that they got work to do. So he takes them back. I don't know if they're going to show up in the next Doctor Strange movie. That would make a lot of sense. Either way, they're going to be working with Wong, and it's going to be great because that dude is awesome. Yeah, I love I how really he like got him. a fight scene early in the movie. That was yes. smart, really smart to get him in early. mid credit scene, they're talking to Bruce Banner 
and Captain, Captain Marvel, Marvel um, via hologram about the rings, and they find out that they're emitting some kind of power. There's power source. Um, they don't know where the energy is coming from, and you know that we're going to have to find out more about the rings the next time around. Then, post-credit scene. Marvel can't get enough of these extra scenes. Yes. Post-credit scene, we go back to where this secret compound of the, um, the Ten Rings, where yes. they're supposed to be getting disbanded by uh, Shang's sister. What I can't remember her name right now. Uh, Not sure. Shai Ling? I think it's yes. Shai Ling. Shai Ling. Yes. Um, she's supposed to be disbanding it. Turns out she is not disbanding it. She just took it over. Now she's running the Ten Rings. They're all working she, for her. She's she going to be a bad guy? She's going to be a bad guy. Like, she's now in charge of the largest criminal outfit, you know, on that side of the world. And I think she recognized the power vacuum. I mean, you can't be in charge of that group and not be a bad guy, right? I, I mean, that's what it was definitely alluding to, but it didn't set up her character like that at all. So that's where I was a little confused. I was like, okay, are the are the Tin Rings going to be good? Is she? I mean, I I know they're not going to be good. They're going to be sort of like black ops people always. But um, how is that going to be used? Um, yeah, I thought the Rings was a really interesting. Again, we talked about MacGuffin. It's like it's kind of how they started setting up the early phases of Marvel Universe, where like, ooh. Now you have to chase the Infinity Stones, right? And then now there's a power source emitting. So it, what is this? Is this going to tie into the multiverse because he is conversing with Doctor Strange? I don't know. Is this going to tie into, who knows, Fantastic Four, Galactus? Is this going to tie into sort of some sort of higher power, some sort of otherworldly thing? We're not sure. It was a good setup. And I, I, I thought that they linked them right in with the Avengers right away. I thought was really good. It's not going to take a long time now that they brought him in to start introducing him in these other movies. Maybe he appears in Captain Marvel. Maybe he, I don't, I don't think they're going to make a Hulk, but you know, he can start to mix it up with these guys because they showed that the Avengers have already recognized that he is a power that they need to have on their team. So it, it's a good sort of transition and here we go. And now no more origins. Let's get into it. Now we can get into it. You know his backstory. You know how he got there. We can now just have a fun adventure where he gets to use all of his powers. Maybe they work on the relationship with Aquafina a little bit. Something with his sister it could be fun. Sidebar. I don't want to go off on a tangent here because this could really divert us. Why can't we just get a Hulk solo movie? Totally. Well, there's been two that have both failed massively. Yeah, but they weren't... I mean, the first one... That was just a whole different thing with Ang Lee. That wasn't yes. under this umbrella at all. None Not of these MCU. people involved. Not MCU. The second one was it's was MCU, but they hadn't really figured everything out yet. And I don't know. I didn't think that one was bad. It just didn't really hit like some of them have. It's kind of Iron Man 2 quality. Well, yeah. And it was early Marvel. That was like the, the third film, fifth film. You know, it was in those early days when they hadn't fully figured out their formula, hadn't fully figured out it didn't even feature the same actor right so it, it was sort of a different cast and having said that they brought abomination in and abomination is in that film so all of a sudden you're kind of making it count oh and another callback that we haven't talked about yet what did you think of the uh little surprise visit from trevor slattery oh that's right yes 
I uh, before we watched this film on Disney Plus, they dropped All Hail the King, I believe it's called, which is this short film that was a bonus feature on Iron Man 3, right? And so he was the Mandarin and he was the big bad of Iron Man 3 to only find out, spoiler alert, that he's just an actor that was hired and posing as the Tin Rings organization. Ben Kingsley, good Lord, he is going for it. He is having so much fun. You love to see actors having fun. Like, like you want your actors to be in these things. You don't want them to slog through it. You don't want these classic like academy award actors just to like yeah i guess i I guess i have to make superhero movies now i guess that's where my career is gone he doesn't think that at all he is excited to be on set yeah he just seems like he's having a ball and it's fun when they get these kind of really well respected actors to just ham it up like that yeah yeah exactly um all right well listen i think that's gonna wrap it up i mean we shot we talked shang chi we did it we did it shang chi We'll see you on the sequel. See you on the sequel. Join us for all of our Beyond the Panels if you are, you know, a movie or TV person. But we encourage you, join us for Comic Club regular episodes where we read a comic or graphic novel. That's going to be it. Tell a friend. Give us a like and a review and follow us on social. You can find me at Blaine McGaff on Twitter. I'm Danger Adam on Instagram. And that's going to wrap it up for our Shang-Chi Beyond the Panels. Adam? Comic Club out. Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend... Follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast and join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics. Comic Club.